welcome to this week's episode of Out for a Walk, a podcast about walking and sound. This week we're heading to Kent, to a small village called Ainsford. Ainsford has been a village since at least AD 800, and it's maintained a steady population all through that, although the area has been inhabited certainly a lot longer before that, as seen by the Roman villa that you pass on the walk. There's enough local history to fill a whole podcast, but that's not really what we're doing. But you pass Lullingston Castle, the Tudor Manor. There's Ainsford Castle, a ruined Norman castle built just after the invasion. There's a number of 16th and 17th century inns and pubs, and the St. Martin's Church of the village dates also to early Norman times, and most of it still survives along with some 12th and 13th century parts. There's a beautiful bridge that crosses the Darrant River, and a ford that is still in use, that's been in use since Roman times. But you'll have to find out a lot more about the detailed history of the village if you want to know, because there is some really fun inhabitants as well. We're going to take you for a walk through the village, down the River Darrant, past the Lullingston Castle, and then around Lullingston Park before swinging back past the Roman Villa. We've just left Ainsford and we're taking the road down towards Lollingston Castle, passing under a beautiful big viaduct. You can probably hear the resonance on my voices because the echoes here are just fantastic. Rising 80 feet above the valley is the same. It's what the train runs over that you get into the village. So I've been over it many times. It's a kind of rainy day here so you can hear the rain pattering. Built in 1859 and still carrying people through to Seven Oaks from London. Head down and go and see the castle.
passing by the Lullingston Roman Villa. I went in it one of the first times I went in, uh, did this walk, and it's a beautifully preserved villa built around AD 100. Uh, wealthy, sort of Romanized Britons lived there and inhabited that for about 400 years before fire destroyed it. There's apparently five or six similar villas in this area. As it is now, as it was then, this is a, a very wealthy and successful part of the country and uh, well-to-do Britons wanted in on a bit of the Roman life and got themselves a villa by the river and uh, yeah, can't blame them really. Just after the villa you can see a little path heading up into the forest, into the hills and that's going to be the end of the walk, sort of the end of the Lullingston Loop it's called. It's going to take us back into the village but for now we'll, uh, we're only at the start, we'll trundle down to the castle. Coming up towards the Lullingston Castle and the World Gardens, as it's called. We've got a lovely jay just sitting on the fence there and some horses in the field. Some of them have got blindfolds on and I was wondering what that was all about, but my friend Grace, who did this walk with me, tells me that they can actually see through them it's to protect their eyes. So thanks, Grace, if you're, if you're listening. Lullingston Castle. It's a 60, early 16th century Tudor Castle now owned by the Hart Dyke family, sort of personal assistant to the Queen, kind of, kind of posh folks who, who still live in there. The first time I came it was closed but I sort of climbed over to go have a look and it's got a beautiful lake and it's got its own church, St Botoffs, that apparently contains some of the oldest stained glass in the country but um, Ever since I've been here, it's all been shut due to COVID, so I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I really look forward to. The gardens is uh, put together by the son of the family, uh, Tom Hartdyke, who is a sort of international plant collector. My initial reaction was a sort of a bit, bit skeptical, like a extremely posh, rich man goes around the world looking for flowers and taking them home uh, just like that sounds a bit colonial but um, my mum said that she went here a few years back and the guy was actually working behind the till so he, he, he went up in my estimation after I, after I found that out. It's called a castle but really it's more of an enormous manor house but it does have a glorious Tudor gate just before the entrance um, but we're not going in there today but if you so desire you can definitely have a walk around in there when it's open lovely chaffinch on the tree next to us I love a chaffinch and the path heading up to Preston Woods on the right
We're past the castle and now right on the banks of the River Darrant with the fishing lake of the castle just next to us. It wasn't the castle, it wasn't the beautiful village or anything that made me want to come walking here. It was this river, the Darrant. If you're used to living by a big river, it's more of a stream to be honest, but um, it is one of the chalk rivers of the area. So it doesn't come from the hills, the water comes from an underground chalk filtered spring, which means it's some of the cleanest, clearest uh, water you get anywhere, some of the best habitat for fish and any underwater life. Great for birds and just a glorious place to come for a walk. See many kingfishers and all sorts of just full of trout coming down here so always a glorious time to go walking next to the Darrant. Stopping down by the river next to a large mostly dead oak tree. This is a spot where I had a lot of luck seeing kingfishers on a previous walk and few things make me happier than seeing beautiful blue kingfishers fly past. I saw, I spent hours following one on my local river near my house, the River Pool, yesterday, so I could hope to see some. And underneath the tree you can spot it, there's what I guess is a fox's den. Don't see too many foxes uh, <laughs> having their den in an old tree, but that's what we've got here. Oaks giving space for life everywhere in life and death. From this bit you can walk, follow the river down to Shoreham and Otford, which is a great walk that I've done a few times before. But for this one, we're going to leave the Darren as much as it pains me, so we haven't had any luck seeing any kingfishers yet. Um, and we're going to go into Lollingston Park and we're going to take the Lollingston Loop. It's all part of what would be the land of Lollingston Castle, their old deer park that's now open to the public. And this we go all sorts of different from grasslands up a steep hill into some woodlands across some high farmland across the Darrant Valley and then back into the village.
coming passing through the visitor center it's lots of uh, marked walks and picnic tables and stuff and there's magpies hopping around we're going to go on the loop the long one and we've got a pretty long straight steep hill that's definitely the hardest and longest sort of part of the walk so we'll go trudge up here in some unforecasted rain Walking up this hill, we're in November and you've got a fields of lavender on the left, but no smell or flowers now. We're slightly the wrong time and we've got blackthorn, but with no slows. Although I have picked slows from around here earlier in the year and the slow gin was, was really nice. I've got some hawthorn and hazel and we've walked past some silver birch here. The hawberries are still still there waiting for something to to nosh them Alright, we're nearly at the top, sort of like an open meadow here on the right, which is a beautiful wildflower butterfly meadow in the spring and summer, but uh, you wouldn't, wouldn't guess it now. Turning around you can start to take in the Darrant Valley. It's funny thinking that how small the Darrant is now and looking at this valley but apparently the river thousands of years ago used to be a much much bigger river than it is now but at some point it ended up uh, becoming part of the Medway some miles away from here. I'm gonna go up this way. Alright, we've made it to the top of that hill and we've arrived in the woodland. We've got dozens, hundreds of fairly young hornbeams on the left. But there's a lot of old trees in the forest as well, veteran beeches and oaks and ashes. We've got some old dead ones with 
some woodpecker nests in front of us. Yes, yeah, it's a great place for mushroom picking a little while ago, but we're, we're slightly past that now. So keep on strolling. Amongst the newer hornbeams, we've got a hornbeam fully 50 foot plus high. Don't really, they normally you don't see them so big. They grow really slowly, but you can see with its distinctive fluted bark and the way they don't grow straight, growing at an angle. No leaves now, because we're in November. coming past an absolutely enormous beech tree towering above the forest. One of the few trees that still has its leaves on here on the 18th of November. Don't mind getting rained on to look up at this. Coming to the top of the hill, passing an old dead tree that looks like a sculpture of a giant's hand. Coming to a whole stack of uh, butcher's broom. It's, it's, it's a great plant, it's an ancient woodland indicator. It only grows in forests that have been undisturbed for one or two hundred years. So if you've seen that, you know that the forest is doing all right and it's been, been, a, been a forest for a while. It's called butcher's broom because of Butchers used to use it to clean their chopping boards. It's sharp and it's wiry and used to scrub off the, the meat. It's nice to see a big patch of that here. massive clump of old mouldy chicken of the woods at a different time of year you can eat that and i have i have uh, eaten a fair bit of that this year you can eat it raw when you're on a walk or you can take it home and cut it up and cook it with it did that too but that is about three months past its prime or two months or something and i think uh, i think we can leave that just there
In the early 30s, the Hart Dykes sold this uh, whole stretch of land to Kemptown Brewery in Brighton. Not sure what they wanted with so much forest. I don't know a thing about how breweries operated. Maybe, maybe they're just landowners as well. And some years afterwards, they sold a bunch of it to uh, the local council, Seven Oaks Council, and they did what they did and they got a big golf course made on it. If I was elected tomorrow, I'd uh, mandatory requisition 50% of uh, golf courses and just turn them back into woodland. I like, you know, playing golf is fun, but uh, I double check my facts and 2% of all of England is covered by golf courses. Twice as much land is taken up by golf courses in Britain as housing is. And golf courses are, of course, a lot better than just concrete <laughs> for wildlife. But if these were added to managed reserves, how much could 1% more protected space with uh, wildflowers and plants and trees and all the animals that we get everywhere? I think it would make a lot of difference. I don't know if uh, that would endear me to many uh, voters. out the golf course and we're in a, the woods suddenly feels totally different. It's only beech trees, just uh, beech trees and fallen beech leaves everywhere. Still a few hornbeams around but definitely feels totally different. Can actually hear the, hear the leaves that we haven't really had before. coming through a, a thin strip of beech forest between the golf course. There's a few really notable trees, including a very, very old oak tree coming somewhere near the end of its life. So I guess seven or 800 years old, but still alive, still, uh, still hanging on there with some broken branches, but looking craggy, wrinkled and beautiful. Maybe a couple of hundred meters further up, we get the real 
grandparent of the forest, another very old oak tree. Completely hollow. Try to stick my head in to see if the sound makes a difference for my voice. But yeah, holding on on its last legs, completely hollow, but still got some, uh, I see plenty of leaves still up there on it. He's still there. Uh, still got some time yet. Just come out the woodlands onto a grassy meadow. We're overlooking the valley, and I've just spotted in the grass a green woodpecker that's grazing away. You can see its head sort of popping up and down a little bit. It's just like straight in front of us, about two thirds toward that little copse there, just in the grass. It'll be feeding on uh, some worms or grubs or something. Green woodpeckers are. Uh, uh, are more grazers. I think it's a green woodpecker anyway, isn't that? It could be a greater spotted, but we'll see when it comes out. Lifting up a bit now, it's clearly a, a green woodpecker. Oh, what well, a really lovely spot because of when we recorded the last podcast, a green woodpecker flew into the tree just uh, <laughs> fully five or ten seconds after we switched off the microphones. So I feel like it's a nice spot. Where I live in Forest Hill, I feel like I see a lot more greater spotted woodpeckers than uh, green woodpeckers. So always uh, nice to see them. See if it wants to get up and have a fly. After some woodpecker-based excitement, we are going across the crest of the valley, looking down towards the Darrant Valley. Some ring-necked parakeets over there are the sort of fairly recent 150-year addition to the birds of South England, but they are thriving and they are everywhere. So if you see a green flash of a bird, it's much more likely to be one of them than a green woodpecker. Oh, the rain stopped, the sky's blue, and uh, sort of we're on the, on the home stretch, really. See, so many birds over there. Coming over the top of the hill, cutting across some farmer's fields. A bit of the sound of the motorway in the background. You're starting to see Ainsford come into sight. A few steps further on, you can start to see the, uh, as we go into the next field, you can all see the, the old St. Martin's Church. I mentioned at the start, its distinctive spire and the beautiful 19th century viaduct that we uh, got the train over. And uh, we're, we're not far at the end. And this is a, a beautiful view. It's looking across into the Darrant Valley with the sun sort of fairly high in the sky. Green fields and autumn browns and blue in the sky. Can't ask for a 
much more than this. At the bottom of the hill, uh, as much as I love walking, my sense of my actual sort of innate sense of direction tells me nothing. But yeah, I see the gate of uh, Lullingston Castle and Lullingston Castle down there, down at the bottom of the valley, shows that we are, you know, our, our loop is nearly up. And probably the most picturesque view of the walk with the Lullingston Castle on our right and the viaduct cutting its way across the Darrant Valley at the bottom of the hill. Absolutely glorious. We've just about avoided falling on our asses a number of times down squelchy, slippery, muddy slopes. And we've come out just by the uh, Roman villa and we've done all of the loop. So we're going to trundle in the sun back towards Ainsford. And there we go, we're back in Ainsford Village after having finished the walk. I hope you like this week's podcast. It's a real pleasure taking you around here. This is a part of England that I really enjoy walking in and I come back to it again and again. Thanks so much to Clem for helping us on this walk, helping carry the gear. Thank you to producer Sarah Nickel for making this all sound so good. If you enjoy the podcast and want to support us, we have a Patreon. And you can uh, get special episodes, maps of where we've gone, and it's generally the knowing feeling warm and fuzzy knowing that you're supporting us doing this we have our usual social media on facebook instagram twitter etc if you want to follow us there i'll try to give regular updates on everything we're doing we'll be back again next month with our third episode and i hope we'll see you there
Lord.